Now hear the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. At this time, I'd like to invite Kirk up. Um, I, I've known Kirk for, what, about 10 years now. Um, Kirk was a, a contracting specialist when I was doing some contracting work still in Army days. Um, he, he helped me a lot, and he kept me out of jail most of the time, so I am grateful to that. Once we both retired, we both felt the call to ministry, and Kirk actually finished his Master of Divinity at Trinity School for Mission a year ago? Two years ago, somewhere around there. Um, Well-trained, and we are happy to have him as part of our congregation. And so, Kirk, if you'll come up, let me pray for you, and then you can open the word for us. Oh, good and gracious God, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you do give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and hearts that are turned towards you. May Kirk indeed have eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart that is turned to you, and may your words flow from here in his mouth, and may our ears hear what you have for us today, O Lord. All this we ask in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. 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 What Father Rob didn't tell you is that when we worked together at Fort Sam Houston, I called him Sir. <laughs> Now I call him Father, so I don't know if that's a promotion or what. It's all good. In 1979, the Public Broadcasting Service introduced a new television show called This Old House. Anybody heard of it? Yes. Yeah, all right. Over the 42 years since then, we have seen an explosion of close to 100 TV shows about house repair and remodeling. These shows have become a recognizable genre, 
with several KB, uh, cable TV channels and websites devoted to the subject. Just listen and see if you recognize any of these rather zippy show titles. Extreme Makeover, Home Edition. Trading Spaces, Amazing Interiors. Marriage or Mortgage, there's one. <laughs> Fixer Upper, any fans? Okay. Property Brothers, Love It or List It. Flip This House, Flip That House. Flip or flop, and even flipping out. <laughs> and I've done that, and I'm sure you have too. Why all this fascination with houses? I invite you to consider with me the reality of our embodied lives. We are created to live in warm, flesh and blood bodies. And these bodies need shelter. We are interested in houses, at least in part, because we have a daily need for shelter. This bodily need is from God. But our embodied status points to more. God uses the reality of our bodily dwelling to teach us about where we live, spiritually speaking, in relation to Him. So today I pose this question. How close do we live to God? Consider the psalm we read this morning. I invite you to look again at today's page of hymns and lessons. Psalm 91 begins with these words. Whoever dwells under the defense of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. In other words, the person who lives in the protective shelter of the Lord will enjoy the shade of a towering God who possesses all power and might. The author of Psalm 91 is clearly a dweller in the shelter of God. Notice his confident assertion about God's secure protective care for his living situation. Verse two, I will say unto the Lord, you are my refuge and my stronghold, my God in whom I will trust. That's not a bad way to talk to God. I don't know about you, but I think I should talk to God that way a little more. The scripture doesn't tell us who wrote Psalm 91. Many early church fathers and many theologians since have taught that Psalm 91 is Christological. In other words, it conveys truth that points beyond its original setting, ultimately describing the Son of God whom the Father would send into the world. God the Son was with God the Father in the beginning, before the creation of the world, dwelling together in perfect unity. But for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. The Son descended from the perfect dwelling. He left home, you might say, 
to find us and to save us from our captivity to sin and selfishness. His rescue mission would both free we hostages and defeat God's enemy. Note this vivid language from Psalm 91 verse 13 and consider its application to Christ. You shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample under your feet. Rather violent language. The metaphor of the lion corresponds to St. Peter's dire warning of the devil as a roaring lion prowling about seeking someone to devour. True. The reference to the serpent calls to mind the tempter as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. After our first parents yielded to Satan's temptation, God cursed the serpent, as you know. But in the curse, God also encoded a promise of our redemption. In short, an offspring from Eve that is one of her eventual human descendants would someday trample the head of the serpent, although the serpent would bruise the human's heel. Thus, this serpent-trampling rescue mission would be costly, as Isaiah foretold from this morning's reading. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Throughout his mission and in his passion, Christ would be strengthened by the Father's angels, as several gospel passages describe, and as Psalm 91, verse 11 prophesies. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you in their hands that you hurt not your foot against the stone. However, as someone has said, Satan knows the scriptures too. And during Jesus' temptation, Satan quoted this verse in a futile attempt to tempt the sinless one to sin. But Christ never stumbled. Satan could not trip him up, and the Lord's feet, if you will, were preserved until the end for their victorious purpose. At the end, though bloodied and nailed to a cross, the feet of Christ did emphatically trample the head of the serpent underfoot. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Remember, though, that to win this costly victory, the Son of God first had to leave his heavenly home. So it is in his leaving 
that dwelling place with the Father, that we are given a dwelling place with the Father. We are bought with the blood of Christ, as we shall celebrate at this table soon. And we are brought to a dwelling place with God forever. Is this not what Jesus told his disciples a few hours before he went to the cross? In my Father's house are many rooms, Jesus said. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Brothers and sisters, this will happen. We will be with God forever. And according to Jesus, he has gone to prepare a place for us. You may have heard of the theological concept of the already and the not yet. We will be forever living with God, but our eyes don't see him yet. And we don't yet feel the floorboards of the Father's house underneath our stocking feet. But though we don't see him yet, we already dwell in him spiritually. As Paul told the Athenians, it is in God that we live and move and have our being. Paul preaches over and over again that we are in Christ. That's a capital letter phrase. In Christ. Not across the street or even next door. In him. This is not a geographical description, of course, but rather a defining spiritual reality expressed in a two-letter preposition. We enjoy an intimacy with God that is close and deep, a union so close and deep that God's word explains it as persons being inside of one another. We are in Christ already, although the full consummation of this truth has not been fully revealed yet. Is this not what Jesus told his disciples a few hours before he went to the cross? Even as he initiates his departure, Jesus promises the gift of the Holy Spirit Listen to these several excerpts from John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. And will be, where? In you. And now verse 23. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. If anyone loves me, 
he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Aren't those amazing words, sisters and brothers? We will come to him and make our home with him or her. Location, location, location. Ask a real estate agent about home shopping, and they will emphasize the importance of location. In our gospel reading today, the spunky brothers James and John ask Jesus to park them on his right and on his left when he comes into his glory. For many years when I read this story, I was taken aback at the brother's boldness in asking such a lofty thing. But notice something. Although the other ten disciples become indignant and angry with James and John, Jesus himself does not rebuke them. He does challenge the brothers with the costliness of their request, and he declines to give positions that are not his to award. However, Jesus does not rebuke the brothers' desire to be near him. To the contrary, Jesus goes on to invitationally instruct in what it means to be truly great in God's kingdom, in the house of the Father. How does Jesus invitationally instruct us today? Some of you know that I have been living with my mother for a season. I have fond memories of my mom reading the Bible to me before school. Way back when I was in the first grade, it was a long time ago, mom would make a cereal called Cream of Wheat. Anybody heard of it? Okay. A few eaters out there. And we would sit at the kitchen table, me eating and she reading. So nowadays, it's fun to be with her again for this season and to be again reading the scripture together. We try to read a psalm or two in the morning and then we read again a psalm at night. And we do it responsibly the way we did it a minute ago. Um, perhaps you and your family already have a discipline like this, or perhaps you join in with Father Rob for online prayer. And if so, you know how formational this practice is for our souls. We need to hear regularly from the one who set us free. My sisters and brothers, God wants he has received us, and he will receive us. He has welcomed us, and he will welcome us. Jesus is preparing a home for us, a home far superior to anything on Fixer Upper or even houses of the rich and famous. Jesus and the Father will make their home with us in the Father's house are many rooms. But there is more. Even now, we dwell in Jesus, and he dwells in us. 
His Spirit is in us, and He will never leave us. This is cause for joy. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.